For God's holy word, let's turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2. We know that the testimony of Scripture is righteous and holy and true, and it is God's holy and infallible word, and we'll stand as we give honor to God's word as we read together from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Let's stand, and as we, if you're able, as we give heed to God's word. Luke 2, verse 1. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the household of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, There has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on the earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that he for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Let's pray. Blessed Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit that you would help us to receive this, your word, not as the words of men, but the infallible holy word that you have given by your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would build us up unto our holy faith by means of this, your word. We ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. It's important to ask... What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Somebody might ask you that question one day. How are you going to answer? 
it's good for you to be able to answer some of these very basic questions about your Christian faith. And maybe you're, maybe you're in a place where you know the person is getting ready to get on a bus or is getting ready to depart and you only have a few minutes and you only can say a few things. How would you summarize it in maybe a few minutes? Well, we'll look a little bit more at the, what a definition of the gospel is. But in today's text, um, this is one of the first New Testament gospel proclam- proclamations. It wasn't, it wasn't John the Baptist who first proclaimed uh, the gospel in, in the New Testament. And it wasn't Jesus who first proclaimed the gospel. The gospel was proclaimed in the New Testament prior um, by, we could say, even by uh, the father of, of John the Baptist when given the truth by the Holy Spirit in Luke 1, 76 and 77, he says uh, that his son um, would go forth, he would go on before the Lord to prepare his way to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. So this coming of the Lord, the holy child of the Lord to be born, was going to be the instrument for the forgiveness of sins. Now how all this was going to work out was going to be later revealed. But remember, the gospel um, didn't first originate in uh, this portion. Of course, we know that it begins all the way back in Genesis begins with the, uh, the teaching of Moses, begins with the Psalms of David, begins with the holy prophets uh, who all foretold of the coming Messiah. But as we look in today's text, God offers you eternal life if you receive the good news of Christ. God offers you eternal life if you receive the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We look in this uh, text in two main points, God's perfect timing, God's perfect timing, and then we'll look at the gospel proclaimed by angels. So let's look at this first main point, God's perfect timing. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. Now, you might ask yourself, well, what's so perfect about this timing? Imagine yourself... um, like Mary, she was being with child, and she was with child to the point where she ended up having the baby during this trip. I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem like the best timing, does it? Well, before we move on, I want us to make a, a little point here of, of apologetics for, for the culture. Mary was not with a fetus. She was not with a growth. She was not with something other, but she was with a child. When a, when a woman is pregnant, they are with child. And I think that language is better because um, we realize that when a, a woman is pregnant, she's with a human being dwelling in her womb. It's not something that becomes a human being after it leaves the, uh, the womb of the mother. But getting back to Mary being with child, and I don't know, would you want to ride a donkey for 
uh, perhaps up to 90 miles when being large with child. It was very inconvenient to make this ride. I don't know, maybe the donkey ride could have brought her into labor a little sooner than expected. Um, that can happen. Um, again, it was, uh, I, I did some research on this. I think it was 70 miles. If you could take like a plane and you could fly from um, Nazareth to Bethlehem, 70 miles if you can go straight shot, as the crow flies, you say. But if you had to take the detour that was required to make this trip, 90 miles. And the donkeys can travel about four or five uh, days to make such a trip. With, if you have a woman on there who's pregnant, you don't want to gallop in donkey with a pregnant woman. Um, but so again, four or five days trip on a donkey wasn't convenient at all. But although this was difficult timing, surely for Mary and Joseph, according to God, this was his perfect timing. And his ordaining this census was to fit a sovereign purpose in Holy Scripture. Let's look back at Micah 5. Micah chapter 5. Micah 5, starting at verse 1. We we're familiar with a portion of this prophecy, but there's much more to just one or two than one or two verses that are commonly heard. Uh, Micah five verse one. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Too little to be among the clans of Judah. From one of you, I mean, sorry, from you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going, goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of, of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. There's a lot of beautiful things we could learn in this, uh, this prophecy. The first things uh, is that this child who was born to be born of a woman had goings forth from long ago from the days of eternity. So as a child who existed from all eternity prior, he was an eternal being that was going to be born. Can't say that of every child uh, the, the normal fashion is that when a, a human being is born or when they're conceived, they don't exist prior. Their souls don't exist prior. They come into existence upon the time of conception. But here we have an eternal being who was eternally present before who would then be born. And he was going to be a shepherd. He was going to arise and shepherd his flock, according to verse 4. That's why Jesus is called the good, he calls himself the good shepherd. It says that in verse uh, 5 
This one will be our peace. We know from Isaiah he is called the Prince of Peace. He is the one through whom we can have peace with God only through Jesus Christ, and we'll look a little bit more at that. But notice that this Christ child, this Messiah child, would be great even to the ends of the earth. He wasn't going to be known just in Jerusalem or in the land of Judah. He was going to be known, well known, and received as the Prince of Peace throughout the entire earth, to the ends of the earth. And that's what happens, and that's what has happened, and it continues to happen with the, the preaching of the Gospels. It goes forth to all the world. I'm going to get back to Luke 2. Um, in Luke 2, shortly after arriving in Bethlehem, Mary gave birth to the Son of God. Look at verses 6 and 7. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Well, maybe the reason there was not much room in the inn was because everyone else was trying to go and register there because of this uh, decree of uh, Caesar. Now, a manger, what's the big... What is the significance of a manger? And we would know a manger. We don't call them mangers here. We call it a feeding trough. It's a uh, basically a, a big container for putting food in to feed sheep or goats or cattle. It's not the kind of place you'd want to put your baby because it might be full of like slobber and all kind of animal, you know, yucky kind of stuff. Um, but I mean, they laid clean cloth and then they laid the the baby Jesus. Um, the, the Lord of the universe in this feeding trough. It's not a fitting place for a baby, much less the child of a king a, for a, a baby prince, much less for the king of the universe. It's not the proper place for him. But this whole passage, this, this whole section here, is a great illustration for a truth that is given unto us in the Shorter Catechism. And Shorter Catechism 27, which asks the question, now this is only the beginning of the answer, but it asks the question, wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born, and that in a low condition. I don't know, you can't get a lot lower than this. Let's look at how then the angels proclaimed the truth of the gospel in this, through this holy child. Our second main point, the angels proclaimed uh, the gospel, or the gospel proclaimed by angels. Notice first the glorious angels and their glorious message. Verse 8 through 14. Verses 8 through 14. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood above them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. As you study scripture, the vast majority of cases when you when a person has seen an angel, 
they have often responded with fear because they are glorious, holy beings of great might and power. And they reflect the glory of God themselves because they stand in the presence of God. Of course, we don't often see all the angels that are around us, but when they reveal themselves, it can be very frightening. But then the angel here calms their fears in verse 10 and tells them not to be afraid. But then the angel then goes and says, why? Uh, He is there. In verse 10, the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Now, you could translate that. I bring you a gospel of great joy. I bring you a gospel of great joy. The Greek word there, uh, euangelizo, um, can mean gospel or good news. And it's from this uh, word here that we get, we derive the word evangelize or an evangelical or an evangelist. It's all derived from this Greek word. It sounds the same. I don't know how the U turned into a V, but it's the same word that we're using that's kind of been transliterated into our English. So the angel here is the first, I would say one of the first, evangelists in the New Testament. Did you ever know that the angel was an evangelist? The angel told them a sign in the city of David, in Bethlehem, another name for the city of David is Bethlehem, to identify the newborn Savior, who is Christ the Lord. In verse 12, he said, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, honestly, for years of my life, I've always been so familiar with this passage, I didn't think of the wonder or the beauty of it. How, how is this a sign? Oh, you're going to see a baby wrapped in cloths. Well, babies are born all the time. But oftentimes, you see a baby in a crib or in a cradle. You, you don't often see babies wrapped up in cloth and laid in a, in a feeding trough. But that was the sign. And there probably weren't many babies around that were laid in, in, in feeding troughs at this time. But this was the one because he was born of a low estate, as we read earlier. You wouldn't expect the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, whose going forths are from long ago, from the days of eternity, to be laid in a meager feeding trough for animals. But it was the glorious sign. A single angel, you could say here, that wasn't to be given this privilege to, to proclaim this message alone. He was joined by a great multitude. A whole multitude joined him. Look at verses Uh, 13 through 14. Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of, of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now some of your your older artwork has three or four angels in the sky, or uh, I've seen some other ones that have up to maybe uh, 15 or 20 or something like that. And uh, I, I listened to an audio Bible uh, produced by Nelson Publishing, and uh, it's a New King James. And when they did it, they, they had maybe five, six, seven guys do the voice for the angels giving this proclamation. All that's highly uh, underrated uh, as far as the amount of angels. Um, it, the word here for hosts can be translated as an army. And the Greek gives us, tells us that there is a multitude of 
an army, an army that is a great multitude. Now, if you maybe, let's say, you went to a presidential inauguration. Now, I've, seen some, I've heard that some of the presidential inaugurations can have up to 500,000 people there. I think at um, President Obama's, um, uh, at his uh, inauguration, there was over a million people because it was a point of history and people wanted to be there for that, that point of history. But uh, imagine a crowd like that, all in unison, with loud, clear voices saying this, glory to God in the, on the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom God is pleased. How would that sound? That would be more like what you would hear, that glorious rumble of the proclamation of the angels. I would like an audio Bible to have that. Maybe one day. The heavenly evangelist proclaimed a message on the earth, uh, peace among men with whom God is pleased. It is only through Jesus Christ that you can have peace with God. This coming Messiah that was revealed is the only source of true, lasting peace. Because it's only through Him that we can be reconciled with God. It's only through Jesus Christ, through His perfect life, His sacrificial death, that you can have peace with God and be pleasing in His sight. Um, I'm going to use some, uh, a citation and give you a little taste of what we're teaching on tonight, what, what I'm teaching on tonight. Uh, we're talking about the judgment. and This is the last chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Chapter 33, section 2. It says, Of those who receive this blessed Lord Jesus Christ by faith, uh, for them shall the righteousness go, uh, they shall go, uh, the righteous shall go into everlasting life and receive that fullness of joy and refreshing which shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now, what about those who reject the gospel? It says, but the wicked who know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be cast into eternal torments and be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, there are people who say, well, I, don't, I just don't believe the gospel. I just, and, and it's true, it hasn't... God hasn't opened their hearts to receive it. But for everyone who rejects the gospel, notice, they're disobeying, they obey not God, and they obey not the gospel. Because God offers them His Holy Son. And He tells them, This is my beloved Son, who I have given for your sins. Believe, put your faith in Him. Those who reject it, disobey the call of the gospel and will suffer eternal death and damnation for it. But those who receive it will be given peace and gladness and joy in paradise forevermore. God offers to you eternal life if you receive the good news that is offered to you in Christ Jesus our Lord. In God's perfect timing, if not for the decree sent out by Caesar, Christ would not have been born in Bethlehem to fulfill the Holy Scriptures as revealed to Micah in Micah 5. 
Now, in our lives, when God gives us inconvenient things, remember that God has a reason for it all. The gospel proclaimed by angels was first foretold all the way back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, when giving and mentioning that promised seed of the woman. And here we have the woman Mary bearing forth a beautiful son, even Jesus our Lord. Now what did Mary do with this? When she heard the message of the gospel, she treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. Have you received the gospel? Have you treasured this holy gospel? God calls you not just to, to believe it in here. He wants you to treasure it in here. And how you treasure the gospel is, is reflected in how you live. Angels proclaim the gospel. This one that we worship and receive is Jesus our Lord who was proclaimed as the eternal Son of God and the only means by which we may be saved. Let's pray together. We pray, O Father, as you have given unto Zacharias that you sent your beloved Son to give to your people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins. We pray that you would give us, each one gathered here this morning, that you would give us that true knowledge of salvation for the forgiveness of our sins, that we would receive Jesus Christ who was proclaimed by the holy angels, who was worshipped at his birth, who lived a perfect holy life, who died for sinners such as us, and who was exalted and raised and ascended to your right hand. Help us, we pray, to treasure him in our hearts above all else. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's uh, turn in our hymnals for our hymn of dedication 306. 306. To us a child of hope is born. Let's stand and sing 306.